You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Please welcome the wonderful Rich Woodall. So, uh, clean slate. Uh, when I saw the topic, the the topic, the theme, I thought about it for ages, and I was like thinking of stories in my life that um, that maybe I could relate to that. And you know, I thought about you know the times that I fell in love at first sight on a beach, and it was all romantic. And I was like, nah, that's just a curveball. That's not that's not a clean slate. And I thought about oh, you know, those times when you're looking at a decision and you're like, do I take this road? And I was like, nah, that's that's just a fork in the road. You know, that's just one of those things. And I was like, clean slates for me have been much more brutal than that. And then it dawned on me. It dawned on me that the only way I could compare or consider what a clean slate for me was, was to really consider the relationship I had with my brother and our one shared (laughs) Etch-A-Sketch. Because as a kid, if you really want to learn how brutal it is to have the slate cleaned, it's to spend hours drawing a tractor with square wheels <laughs> with a house that's joined to the tractor with square wheels with a, something else for ages and then have your older brother come and just behind you and just go, nah, gone. And I realised, shit, my life's got a few of those actually. And, and I realised that actually the developing relationship between me, my brother and our one Etch-A-Sketch I don't know why we never got two, to be honest, but they couldn't have been that expensive. My dad's here, I'm going to ask him later. Are they that expensive? I'm not so sure. Probably more expensive now than they were then, right? Um, But I realised that, like, the way my relationship with my brother and our Etch-A-Sketch developed is quite similar to the way my life has developed with cleaning, wiping, or having the slate cleaned. So, and I've never, ever compared my brother to the universe before, but metaphorically, he is the universe in this, because... uh, when I was about 15, um, I won't go on about this one very long, but I'm going to cheat and tell a couple of stories, if that's okay, but I will keep it under the 10 minutes. But when I was about 15, my, the Etch-A-Sketch was wiped clean, my bubble was burst when uh, I was attacked a couple of, couple of times in one evening, and it flipped my life completely on its head, and I, I had, uh, I've been dealing with agoraphobia since, uh, since then, for the last sort of 25 years or so, I don't know how old I am, 25-ish years. Um, and it was one of those moments where my brother had come up behind me. I'm not, totally not comparing my brother to this. He's a good dude. But it was that instant. It was, I had no idea it was coming. I didn't want it to happen when it happened, and I was freaking gutted afterwards. Um, so I learned that maybe I can hold on to the etch sketch next time. So, you know, it only took once or twice for my brother to do that before I was like, no, I'm not going to let this happen. So I'd be sketching, and I, I knew he was coming. I knew he was coming, so I'm like holding on. I'm walking around the house with this Etch-A-Sketch messing up, the, this time the car with square wheels and the house that's still got square smoky clouds coming out of it. And I'm holding on to it, but eventually he's my older brother. He's going to overpower me and he's going to shake that shit clean again. And I realised that life, I've done that in life as well. I was living happily in New Zealand uh, for nearly three years and... Um, 
I was getting the signs. I was getting the signs that my brother was approaching. He wasn't, he was still in Lowestoft, but I was getting the signs, the signs that, you know, maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe something needs to change in my life, something. And I'm like, nah, it's good. I live on the beach here and there's a mountain and I work in a yoga studio and there's cool people and I've got a really nice girlfriend. So nah, nah, I'm going to ignore that shit. I'm going to just pretend that's not really happening. And then I remembered about visas and realized... I was too old to have one, and I'd applied for a visa for, my third, for what would become my third year, and it had been denied, and I applied a second time with a different role, which already got me my second visa, and I was like, this is going to be fine. They'll, they'll give me one. I've already had one with this purpose. My visa deadline came, and I still hadn't heard, and I was like, shit, hang on. What am I doing? So I phoned them up, and they were like, it's fine. Like, you've got about six months or until we've made a decision. Just carry on living your life as normally, in your house with your two jobs and your girlfriend, and that's sweet. So around, but not quite six months came, and I phoned up immigration people and said, look, I still haven't heard anything, and my deadline's coming up. I'm a little bit, you know, what should I be doing? And they said, and I'll never forget this conversation. It wasn't that fun. Um, and I knew it was coming, but I ignored it. And the woman on the phone, I'm not going to do the Kiwi accent, A, because... Well, just a number of reasons. I'm just not going to do the Kiwi accent. I don't want to offend any Australians, basically. <laughs> um, I phoned them up and I said, hey, I haven't heard anything from my visa application and uh, my time's running out. And the woman on the phone said, okay, let me have a little look, gave her the details. And she said, okay, yeah, we, we have made a decision on your visa. And I was like, cool. And there was a slight pause. I was like, who's, who's going next? And she said... I'm not legally allowed to tell you over the phone the outcome of your visa, though. And I was like, oh, that's, that, that's, that sucks. And then before I had time to say anything, she said, however, I am legally obliged to tell you that you are in this country illegally. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, ah. So I said, so was that a no then? <laughs> and her exact response was, I'm not legally allowed to tell you over the phone the outcome of your response. So basically, I was like, cut the shit, please help me out, what's going on? She said, okay. I, so I then said, how long, have I, how long have I got? How long have I got? When was I illegal? When am I illegal from? And she said, um, yesterday. I was like, cool. So I've got no time to like, get rid of the house, apologise to the girlfriend, quit my two jobs, buy a flight and leave. And luckily, it was sort of fine. It was considered a voluntary deportation um, because I, I bought a ticket for like a few months' time which was the closest I could afford. And, um, but I was holding on to that Etch-A-Sketch for so long. Like, I just didn't want to let go, but the universe had, had a different plan. Similar happened much more recently. Um, I moved to Portugal to, because I didn't really know what to do, and I moved to Portugal to teach yoga at a surf retreat centre. And um, it was shit. <laughs> it was so bad. Like, everything about it was crap. And it sounds like it should be perfect, right? On a surfing beach, like, teaching you. It was terrible. I hated it. I hated it. But I was really holding on to that edge of sketch because now I was sketching, like, square waves with me trying to surf on it. And um, I hated everything about it. And I was so unhappy. I had no money. I wasn't really getting paid. Turns out it wasn't a yoga retreat centre at all. She just advertised it on yoga retreat centre websites to try and get people to come. So there wasn't... I had no role, and it was, I was gutted, and I really wanted to leave, but I couldn't. Um, so what, I went surfing instead, and normally I tell people I, I, I hurt myself surfing, and um, it's a true story, so I'm going to tell the truth. I didn't hurt myself. I did, sort of. I wasn't surfing. I didn't crash off like a 10-foot... I can't surf, to be honest. I can't even swim. <laughs> so I did go surfing, though, and um, 
I was cleaning my board afterwards <laughs> and uh, just wiping the board down in the sand and I, let, and I lost control of it and a wave just took it straight into my kneecaps like this and snapped my legs backwards and, um, and uh, I ruined my knee and my hamstring, couldn't walk and didn't know what to do and again, thanks for being here dad I had to call on my old man and be like I'm in the shit and because I was holding on to this Etch-a-Sketch and I wanted to live this life that I thought was going to be idyllic and I was going to do that picture. But again, the universe had other ideas. Um, so yeah, so it dawned on me that there are, there are ways that I have or can practice, and I'm not quite as good at them yet, to A, piss off my brother as a kid by either, as I see him approaching, going, nah, I'm doing it first, and shaking it clean myself. Or just cleaning it, letting him do it, and then laughing. Because there's nothing more an older brother hates more than trying to piss you off and you going, yeah. <laughs> whatever, don't care, I'll just draw another tractor. So um, that's where I'm at in my life now. I've had plenty of experience of having it cleaned, refusing to let it be cleaned. So now I'm trying to do that cleaning myself. And uh, that's my story. Okay. Rich Whittle! True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk. We're super grateful to be supported by Arts Council England, Norfolk County Council and Writer Centre Norwich.